Good morning, church. Oh, come on. Good morning, church. Man, it is a great, great day. I mean, you just got to be excited for this day. I mean, think about it. Over 47 families taking communion for the first time. Come on. How great is that? And in just a little bit, we're going to see and experience some of our over 25 plus people having a miracle happen in their life through the gift of baptism today. What a blessing that is as well. And you know, I can't help. But as I reflect in the past and as I look at this morning, I can't help but to think about last week and the, the 12 testimonies through the, ser- through the service and the prayer that happened and the movement of God that happened. And I can't help but to look at all the blessings that we have of the young men and young women saying, I am here and I want to be with Jesus and I want to take communion with Jesus for the unending feast that will be guaranteed through eternity because of Jesus. And I can't help but to think about the celebration that not only happens here in this church, but in churches across the world and in heaven on earth as the banners are unfurled with names that are written in the book of life. And I don't know about you, but for me, I can't help but to be amazed because when God does the amazing, we can't help but to be amazed. And God's doing the amazing in our midst. And he's doing the amazing through you right here and right now. Because that's the God we see on this Palm Sunday. The God who's amazing and who shows up and does amazing things that people look and say, that is amazing. John 12, 9, when a large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, Jesus, but to see Lazarus, whom he had risen from the dead. And and so God has done an amazing thing through Lazarus, and now the crowds are coming. And I think this verse is actually overlooked a lot of times. I think we spend a lot of times looking at the Palm Sunday crowd and saying, yeah, they're there for Jesus. And they were, but they were also there because of Lazarus. Because Lazarus was telling the story. I mean, he had been risen from the dead. He had come out of the tomb all stinky and all gross and all wrapped up. And he walked out, and then he couldn't help but to just simply share the story of what would happen. I mean, can you imagine standing on the side of the street and here comes Lazarus and he goes, dude, I was dead. <laughs> like literally dead. Like, and it was four days. So they knew I was dead. Right. I mean, he comes out from that. And here's the thing. Why Lazarus? He, he was pretty ordinary. I mean, he's just an ordinary guy. And actually, when we look throughout the scriptures, God does the extraordinary through the ordinary. 
And, and I find myself always having a small little chuckle when I talk to someone and I say to them, oh man, I can't believe what God's going to do through you or, or I can't believe what God's happening or let's pray about that. I think God's got to, and they'll look at me and they'll go, oh, <laughs> I'm just an ordinary person. Like you're, you got a closer relation. You are a pastor. You get to, you're right there with him. And I think, oh man, when you are the ordinary, you know that God will do the extraordinary through you. And so if you are sitting here and you ever sat there and thought, oh, who am I? I'm just a normal, ordinary person. Guess what? Hold on. Grab onto your bootstraps because God is doing extraordinary action through you in a story and a testimony to tell. In John 12, 12, the next day, a large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they're on their way. And they want to see who this Jesus is. And so this large crowd is coming. And now there, Jesus is coming there. And he is bringing with him a testimony. He is bringing with him a testimony of, of people who are now seeing this amazing God who they've heard about. Who they've seen doing extraordinary things. And they take palm branches, it goes on to say. And they went out to him and they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. You see, you and I have been created with a purpose. And that purpose is to testify and to praise and to shout and to glorify the name of Jesus Christ for all time. That is your purpose. That is my purpose. To be ones who shouting and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that, that even if we're not going to do it, so even if we all just shut up, and didn't say anything about what God was doing to us. In Luke 19, we see that even then the stones will cry out. And we pray to God that the stones don't have to cry. That the cry out comes from you and from me. And that we keep testifying into what God is doing in our life. Because you and I have been given a story to tell. And even sometimes if that story doesn't make sense... So it was, um, I was probably 16 or 17, and my, one of my best friends, Mike, uh, he and I were going to uh, get together, and then we were going to go out for some high school social uh, activities at people's houses uh, that, that night. And so we said, well, let's carpool. And so we dropped his car off, which was a Honda Accord, and we, dro we dropped into my car, and we went out for the night. And when we got back at about 11 o'clock, I was going to drop him off. And all of a sudden, he does this key check, right? And he looks at me and he goes, oh, Griff, I must have lost my key at someone's house. And I was like, what do you want to do? And he goes, I, I don't know what to do. And so I said, well, he said, let me just grab my stuff and, and, and get, get, see if I left the car. And he goes to pull a car and he's like, the door's locked. And I said, well, let's call AAA. And then um, we'll just get your stuff, and I'll take you, and we'll figure out what to do tomorrow. I'll take you to home. So we called AAA, and we had about an hour to wait. So we sat down on the curb, and we were just chit-chatting about life and about things and about all this stuff. 
And, and now Mike and I, we, we were not people that people would say, oh, those are two Jesus people walking down the street. Like, like I, I don't think anyone would have ever guessed that. And so, so, but somehow we already, we started talking this time about faith. And finally, AAA comes, comes and they pop open his door. And he reaches in to get his stuff. And then all of a sudden, he looks at me with his white, his, his face is as white as a sheet, and he has panic on his faith, face. And I go, Mike, what, what, are you okay? And he says, Griff, look. And he pulls out his key. And I just kind of laughed. I said, oh, where was it? Like, it was, a, he says, it was in the car. And I said, oh, oh, okay. And he goes, no, 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 Griff. He said, you don't understand. Honda Accords it's impossible to lock your keys in the car. They had developed a system so that once the key was in the car, you couldn't lock it from the outside. He said, there's no way this could have happened. And so we sat on that curb till three in the morning talking about what could God have been doing? What is the miracle or the the saving or what, what did we avoid by God having us wait? And even to this day, if I talk to Mike and I just say to him, the miracle of the key, or he says the miracle of the key to me, we just have a faith story that we reminisce together with. And that's the testimony that we have. You and I, all of us have a testimony, but here's the truth. When we start telling and talking to people about Jesus, and we start telling the story of Jesus, even the ordinary story, even the stories that don't make sense, even the things where we say, well, God is just doing this, Satan comes to us, and there's a target he puts on our back. Because when we are doing things that are growing the kingdom of God, we are now on the radar of Satan. And he all of a sudden has his antennas up. And here's the thing. If Satan isn't attacking you, you're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. That's the truth. If you're sitting here today and saying, well, my life's pretty good. I don't know where Satan is attacking me. Then I'd ask you, well, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? Because if the kingdom of God is growing, Satan is going to be right behind him. And you might be saying to yourself, well, wait a minute. Is it like going to be big things? Satan is just simply looking for a small little tiny foothold. Just a little spot where he can get a toe that has sturdy ground on you. And where he's going to start getting in there. And it might be negative thoughts because negativity is not from God. It might be little annoyances by your spouse that cause you to sit there and hold contempt to them. It might be something that you just say, this is the way that I really want it done. And it's a preference that you hold to. And that you you draw a line in the sand and say, this is how it has to be. You see... It's that foothold he's looking for. And Satan's coming after us. It is a spiritual battle that we're in. John 12, 10, uh, as Lazarus is going and telling the story, right? Satan just says, wait, they've got to stop. Lazarus has to be stopped. And so he plants it into the chief priests. They made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. And so now Lazarus is also on the hit list with Jesus as one to be killed because he is growing the very kingdom of God. 
And as that happens, I think we can find ourselves looking and saying, the greatest lie that Satan tells us is that God is mad at us. And, and this is those sayings when people come and they say, oh, I've got, I've got, if I, if you knew what I was doing, I, the church would just, it would burn down. Lightning would strike on a clear blue day, right? But here's the thing. God didn't come to bring wrath to his people. In John 12, 14 through 16, Jesus was found on a young donkey. And so he arrived and they shouted, behold, your king is coming on a donkey. And his disciples, they didn't get it. They didn't understand all of these things, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered them. And I think that's a key phrase. When Jesus was glorified, they remembered that Jesus came on a donkey. And why is that a key phrase? Because you see, with everything that happens in this upcoming week, it's really simple for us to look and go, God's got to be pretty ticked. God's got to be angry. He was beaten and spat on and smitten and afflicted. He was sent to a cross. He was nailed to it with a crown of thorns upon his head. And he was killed. God's got to be royally ticked. But him coming on a donkey says that the king came to bring peace. See, in those days, if the king was coming to a land, if he was coming in war, he'd come on a horse. And then the watchman would know and should tell the whole town, we've got a war coming. Get ready. Battlegrounds. But if the king rode in on a donkey, it was, this king comes in peace. Open the gates. Let him in. What are we going to do to flourish together? And Jesus comes with peace for you and for me. Jesus doesn't come ticked about what's upcoming in this week. But instead, he comes and he says, it is your will, Father, that is to be done. Which is to bring peace with God to you and to me and to all of us. So that we would be guarantors of everlasting and eternal life. And this is why communion is so important. Because it is the physical representation of the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ bringing peace to you and me. That we physically have peace with God in, with, and under this very bread and this very wine. And we take that with joy and with love, but also with something else. So let me tell you really quick my First Communion story. When I was a student for First Communion, we had uh, kids, I mean, if you're doing First Communion, you're lucky you weren't at First Lutheran Placerville, I promise you. Because what we had to do that for First Communion is come on a Wednesday night, and we had to stand up, and we had to share a one-page testimony of why I love Jesus out loud for the whole church to hear and I think judge us. <laughs> so that day I went to school like a normal and then that night I had my first communion and I was in school and I was in Spanish class with Mrs. Diaz 
And uh, this guy, Ben Wadsworth, was sitting behind me, and unbeknownst to me, he had, he had snuck up right behind me quietly, and he had taken a rubber band, and he had spread it between his thumb and his index finger as wide as he could, and then he put it right over my back, and then he pulled the bottom part of the rubber band, and then as far back as he could without breaking the rubber band, he let it go and snap right onto my back. And oh, man, it hurt. And all of a sudden, I did something that I've never done before in my life. I turned... And and I looked at him and I was ready to pound him. And he saw in my face that I was going to hit him. And so he started to take off. And we're in a classroom with 30 other kids. And he's running around the classroom. And I think, well, I've got to catch him. So I run around and I am chasing him around desks. And we're flying and we're using people to get us leverage as we hit the corners. And Mrs. Diaz, she's over at the corner at the light switch. And she's going, boys, boys, and turning the lights on and off. Boys, boys, stop, boys. And all of a sudden, like, because that's going to stop too two boys ready to pound each other, the lights flicking on and off. It just added to the adrenaline, honestly. And so we're going, and finally, whatever happens, we stop. And she takes us down to the principal's office, and we sit for a few hours because the principal's out of the office, and finally Mrs. Witt comes. And Ben and I now, we're pretty cool. We're good again. <laughs> she comes in, we're laughing, and she's not. And she looks and she says, well, gentlemen, there's a no, strict no fighting policy in our school. And I said, we didn't fight. We just kind of ran at each other. It was like a little track meet inside. <laughs> and she says, it was a fight. You're both suspended the rest of the week. I've already called your parents. They're on your way to pick you up. We get in the car. And my dad's silent because he's really angry. And my mom's sitting there and she's kind of crying, but she's not an emotional person, but she doesn't. And she just kind of looks at me and she goes, huh, I wonder what you're going to say about Jesus tonight at church. <laughs> See, right now we're going to take communion. And every time we take communion, Satan puts another target on our back. He wants to lead us because we're coming closer to God. And he wants us to think that we don't have peace with him. And so tonight, on the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he did take the bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. And I want you to right now take out that, that bread in your cup. Take it out and hold on to it right there. And I want you to look at it. I want you just to look at it for a second. And I want you to realize that you're holding the body of Jesus. And he's not mad at you. He loves you. And he's restoring you and renewing you in repentance. And he's not letting the, the arrow of Satan keep you from him, but he's drawing near to you. And so now, as the family of God, together with the peace of God, let us take and eat this body of, of Christ given for you. And in the same way, also, after the supper, he took the cup and given, gave thanks and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament to my blood, which is given for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me and 
Now we take and drink and just look at that. The blood of Christ is going to overwhelm your body. Fill you with his presence and his love. And the, the effects of Satan's arrow, death, it's going to pass over you. As you're renewed in his love. And so take and drink the true blood of Jesus Christ for you. Satan also comes to us as we're going to celebrate in a few minutes with baptism. The first time Satan puts an arrow on us is in our baptism. As he puts a target upon us. And then he's in a relentless pursuit of us to fall, to to shame us, to think we're alone. One of the people being baptized today wrote this. I've been through a lot of trials in the past eight years. I lost my son to pneumonia and my grandson died after one week from premature birth. My daughter resorted to drugs and alcohol and with God's direction, he helped me through that and she's now doing really well. But I blamed God and so I started resorting to alcohol to resolve my pain. Finally, I decided to get sober and started praying hard. And as she grew closer to God, she lost her marriage of 31 years. She tried suicide, but God saved her. Her marriage was built on alcohol, and she knows that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. But God knows that we believe in him and has a higher power. And he's helped her through this journey. And so she's dedicating her life today to him on this earth. Because she knows that God is leading her to listen to him and to tell her story to help others. You see, Satan wants to promise us that we'll get fulfilled in other ways. He tried it with Jesus when he said, just worship me and I'll give you everything that you can see. He tried it with the Pharisees when, when he said to them, just kill Jesus and your power and your authority will be restored. He tried it with the disciples when he said, see, you fled from him. God's got to hate you. And if he ever comes back, he's going to smite you with his wrath. But see, what we learned is that we have a God who is filled with love and peace for you and for me. And so it doesn't matter what arrows or what targets are upon us. What we know is that Satan is always going after us. And even though we walk around with the target from Satan that is meant to destroy us, to kill us, and to devour us as a false roaring lion who really has a bark with little bite, 
we've got the God who has come with peace to us to look at us and said, no, it's not the promises of Satan. It's the promises of Christ fulfilled by the Father through the empty tomb that guarantee to you and to me everlasting and eternal life. And no matter what arrows may hit with us, they may sting, but death, where is your sting? It is nowhere because there is the power and the victory of Jesus Christ within you right here right now today tomorrow and forevermore and so wear it knowing that you have a target and simply say as you confront Satan with him trying to get a foothold say in the power and in the name of Jesus Christ get behind me Satan for your arrows will not stand amen Church, now's the time where we get to see the miracle of God. We get to see people coming and claiming that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior by the power of Christ who has claimed them first. And so as we see these baptisms today, may you see and know that there is rejoicing here and in heaven, which is around us right now. And if you're sitting here today and you've never been baptized or you want to commit your life to Christ again and to live a life that is godly and pleasing, not perfect, but in his perfect love, just come around and they'll take care of you and you can get baptized today as well. But today, see the glory and the work of Christ for you and for me. And remember your own baptism as we celebrate those getting baptized today.